Oh, sorry. I should. I turned on the microphone. <laughs> Stephanie has used the word "bop" like two times recently, and I every time she that. says it, it just makes me laugh. There are fops in the world. I'm sorry. What is the official definition of a fop? I don't know. You want to look that up? Yeah. I mean, the way I use it is sort of a sort of a an oafish fool is what I think. But maybe someone who's like a little bit like trying to be refined, but is an oafish fool. Okay, it's also a disease. Well, <laughs> one of the rarest, most disabling genetic conditions known to medicine. It causes bone to form in muscles, tendons, ligaments, and other it? connective tissues. F O P. Oh, weird. Huh. Very interesting. Okay, well, that's not okay, what I meant. Fop became a pejorative term for a foolish man excessively concerned with his appearance and clothes in 17th century England. That's what I'm saying. Like Fantastic. a refined oaf is what it is in my mind. <laughs> that's how I see it. A refined oaf. So we can't really call President Trump a fop because he's not refined. Right. There's. Yeah, no, we were speaking horribly behind someone else's back. Okay, okay. anyway. <laughs> Guess what time it is? Top two in hour two. And now the weekly dish presents Top Two, Top Two, the Top Two. Pick your best two in our two. All right, give me two, winning, winning. Yep, we're your best friends. That's right. This is the time of the week when we talk about not just people, but things that we are loving in uh, our lives right now. So, two things that we love. Are you ready? Yeah. What are you gonna go? I'm gonna start with. I, I loved the concept of this. Okay. We went and had a tour this week of a place that is open and you can go check it out. It's called The Lab. Mm-hmm. It's right over here off of 280 and Eustace Street yep. in St. Paul. It is a, a joint venture, a company launched by BevSource, which is uh, helps get beverages incubated into market. Mm-hmm. The Lab itself is a testing ground for different beverages, whether it's beer, kombuchas, alcoholic drinks, non-alcoholic drinks, teas, sodas. Um, the idea is is that you go into this tap room, it's we'll tap call room. it, is a tap room. They give you a card and you can buy these beverages that are being tested from anywhere from 38 cents to 46 cents an ounce. And it's a, it's like a, just to be clear, because there's a lot of self-service tap rooms already around. And so it's the same thing as like Tap Society or 32 Craft or those kind of places that first draft where you get a, you load up a card and then you get to taste whatever you want by how many ounces by pouring your own. But here's the difference. Tap. You don't know True. what you're drinking because it'll say like this is a Kolsch, this is a stout, this is a blueberry soda, but you don't know who makes it. No, very true. So you're there really like testing and experiencing these different beverages that are on tap and then they have an app that you can weigh in with your feedback about whether you liked it, tasting notes. I just thought it was a really cool way to be involved in that maker process. Yeah. They do have a private um room, there'll be a food truck there. It was just, I really thought it was a fun way to experience new drinks. There was one, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> that was. <coughs> there was, there was. A sorry, lot, allergy that's okay. season. Allergy season. There was a lychee, uh, a can of lychee tea. Oh. That someone was drinking that um, helped fight plaque. Yeah. So kind of a, right. a, one of those, a nutraceutical beverage, I guess, as it were. Yeah. Um, there was a kombucha that was, had alcohol added to it. So yeah. kind of fun. Um, so it's called The Lab. If you just want to do something fun with friends and do something different, it'd be a great place to hook up. Yeah, it's a cute little place. All right. So my first one is going to actually be uh, the art of the kitchen gift. So 
sometimes, you know, when you may, someone has like a, you know, you have a favorite kitchen, you know, a favorite restaurant, or you're a regular somewhere, or someone hooks you up with a good reservation, or, you know, you kind of score some seats or something like that, or maybe you're paying back for something that they did last time. Um, I, I just want to bring back the idea of bringing presents for the kitchen on a busy weekend night. And so last night I got to Colita and I had kind of extended my reservation with more people. They gave me the, they were kind enough to accommodate the number of people that I was asking for. And so, um, by, you know, a couple more. Um, and so I went to Glamdal Donuts and I bought a whole big dozen crazy big fat donuts. And then I walked in and I said, this is for the kitchen. Because nice. I know that they were slammed. I know that, it, I mean, obviously they're always slammed there. And they're busy running around crazy. And, you know, just having something that they could access later, a sugar bomb or whatever, just a little treat, something that isn't on the menu, not booze, because I'm not a big fan of bringing booze to the kitchens while they're working, um, was an idea. And I just thought that maybe, you know, if there's a place that uh, you love and you want to honor your the kitchen guys, because, you know, you're tipping your servers and all that kind of stuff. And that's great, too. But, like... Having something kind of in the back where it's outside of the norm is kind of fun. And, and let's be honest, kitchen guys love junk food. All right. That's a great one. Yeah, I love it. It's a tip. Um, I had an opportunity to experience a new app that you can enable on your Alexa. And it's by the Minnesota Beef Council. And mm. it's called Chuck Knows Beef. So you say you enable it on your phone or your app. And then you say like, hey, Chuck. Tell me about how to make this filet mignon. Tell me about how long I should cook this bavette. It gives you recipes for things with beef. You can find it online at chucknosebeef.com. But so you can chat with it there, but also with your Alexa. Hmm. It uh if you have questions about beef. So um it's just really an like how do you cook do you a have flame an steak? Alexa? Yeah. How do you check the internal temperature or what temperature should my steak be for medium rare? And it, it gives you the answers huh. and it'll tell you recipes too. Okay. So it's chucknowsbeef.com. Uh, and I tested it. I just thought it was really interesting that that kind of technology is coming into our kitchens where we can just start talking to companies through Alexa. Yeah, I just asked how long do your marinade hanger steak, and it said marinade can boost flavor and tenderize the cut for flavor. Marinade between fifteen and minutes and two hours with tenderizing. Patience is a virtue and could take up to twenty four hours. Learn more, and then you can click on learn more. I mean, because it it is online too. Yep. So, because I don't have any of those spooky robots sitting in, in my home house devices, to talk I have to them me. in almost every room. Stephanie, oh my God. I have you know. You're gonna get taken. We have over. them that turn on the lights. Yeah, no, that's too Alexa, much power. Alexa, lamp on. No, too much power. Uh, okay, so but I like the idea. But that's a cool resource. Yeah, beef. It's what it's what's for dinner. Chuck um, knows beef. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the Cattlemen's Beef Board, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. So not just Minnesota too. So that's kind of interesting. Um, okay, quickly, I will tell you that my we have a call on the line, so we're going to just go through mine, and then yeah. we're going to answer her. But mine is the fish sauce situation, which is like, honestly, you guys, uh, David Chang put uh, on his Instagram video that he was making like spaghetti and, and red sauce, and he was like, I put fish sauce in here, and like, forget it. Don't even give me any crap for it. And I was like, duh, why are we not putting fish sauce in our pasta? I probably have had the same bottle of fish sauce in my cupboard for 10 years. Really? Yep. I always put it into marinades and stuff like that. And I ended up, but I just thought about it and I never think about it in, I usually think about it with Asian dishes. Like that's in, I just keep it in its lane. 
And, you know, the truth is, it is just a salt. It's an anchovy. It's a fish paste, just like you'd put anchovies yeah, into so it's things. Yeah, umami. You can put it into Caesar salad dressing, and it would be the same idea, right? But so Jake sort of sent that to me, and I was like, yeah, okay. And I made this to me, and I didn't know how it would go with tomatoes, because it was that was this weird acidy thing to me in my mind. It wasn't working. It was delicious. And Yum. I will absolutely never go back, I think. Because all I did was take crushed garlic and saute it with some shallots. And then I threw the fish sauce and then hit it with lemon. Because lemon kind of helps that, you know, kind of balances that salty umami. And then I threw the tomatoes on top of it in a saute pan. And let it all mix and then bubble, bubble, salt and pepper. A little bit of salt, not very much. And then pepper. And then I threw the pasta on top of it. And it was so good. Yum. Fire roasted tomatoes. That was it. Okay, we got Renee on the line. Hey, Renee, what's going on? Hi. Um, we moved from Kansas City to Minnesota. Or we live in Invergrove, Minnesota. And yeah, Kansas City is known for barbecue. We're looking for a good place that has uh, a mild barbecue rub on ribs as opposed to sauce. And we're also looking for um, some place that has a good chimichanga. <laughs> a chimichanga. Wow. I don't, okay, well, let me give you the barbecue place first, which is, of course, our favorite spot uh, called Anamale's Barbecue. And okay. John Whipley is the guy behind it, and he's it's, he's actually got a barbecue truck behind Abel Brewing uh, in Northeast. Okay. And he only puts salt and pepper on his ribs. He, there's, you know, he's, I mean, like, and they are so delicious, and they are crazy good. They they don't need the they don't need the sauce they don't need all the crazy things to it they have sauce and he's got a couple different sauces you can pick from that you want to add on your own but literally his ribs are amazing okay um chimichanga might be harder I don't I mean is it does anybody do a chimichanga no, outside of Chi Chi's they don't I don't know if anyone does one um I was thinking maybe Nacho Mama in Stillwater um. But the chimichanga used to be a thing that a restaurant here did called Chi Chi's. Well, Chi Chi's was national. Yeah. Is that, did you, do, are you telling me in Kansas City they have chimichangas on the menu? Uh, yeah, there's a place called Margarita's that was about a mile from our house that had it and they were delicious. You know what? Okay, so basically a chimichanga is a deep fried burrito. You know who has a deep fried burrito? Is Book Club. Book Club in, um, which is on South Minneapolis. I was just across the street from it at 54th and Penn or Xerxes. At 54th and Penn, I think. And they have, uh, she's got, they were doing a deep fried burrito that had a ton of awesome Monterey Jack cheese and uh, good stuff in there. So another, I'll try them. Another place that apparently does have it in the Twin Cities is El Taco Riendo. Oh. And that's on Central Avenue in that's, Northeast. Yes, I love them. That's actually well a good place. Well-packed, very large, choice of fillings, chimichanga. Perfect. Okay. Got it. Thanks, Thank Renee. Thank you very much. Love your show. Thanks. I love that she wanted I love us that to we find could help her, her chimichanga. Dude, I didn't even think about that a chimichanga is a deep fried burrito. Like, that didn't even occur to me that that's what that was. Yeah, with a gravy on it. Well, but like, not gravy gravy. Like well, gravy? It's, I mean, like, kind of a greenish gravy. I don't know. The Chi-Chi's one had gravy on it. It had gravy on it? Not like... Like gravy in gravy? the way you're thinking about it, but yeah. a like brownish, greenish, warm gravy. I just think salsa. I mean, I don't it sounds. I mean, salsa is fine too, but it did have a gravy of sorts. I on don't, it. and I don't remember eating it at Chi Chi's. I don't. So I'm I so look it up. And you're find gonna have the to pictures. look up that because I really don't know. Okay, we got to go. So you look that up. We're gonna take a break. When we come back, we are actually gonna talk about uh, something kind of very interesting called a hot beef sandwich. We'll be right back.
Hey everybody, welcome back to Weekly Dish. Thanks for joining us on this gorgeous Saturday. That's Ty Dolla Sign Ha. Is that who that was? And Post Ty Malone. Ty Dolla Sign Ha. I like I, a little that's posty. That's my favorite uh, name for a, someone in a music. It's Ty. like it's like Kesha, who is K E Dolla Sign. That's right. Yeah. Anyway. That's right. We digress because uh, we have uh, my other work wife on the phone with us, which is, of course, Dara Moskowitz Grumdahl. Hello, Dara. Hello, my dear, my darling. Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. Mm, it's a birthday party day for me. I've already been to SIF to get the gluten free donuts for the gluten free kids for the big 11 year old birthday party. It's on. It's a banner day. It's on like Donkey Kong. Um, we are having you on the radio today because you and I, uh, we of course work at Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine and we banter back and forth with crazy ideas for food things. But you had this great idea to write about a certain piece of Minnesota iconic, I think, a food stuff. And I think what I love about it is how great it all turned out and how much you actually do love a hot beef sandwich. Isn't that right? Hot beef. Yeah. What has know, happened have to the been, hot beef? I have been trying to write this story for 20 years. She and has. People are very skeptical. They don't really understand. Okay, so back in the day, like this was a normal food. This was a thing that everybody just ate. Like you didn't think about it. It was the leftovers. You took your pot roast. You put it on a piece of bread with some mashed potatoes and homemade gravy. Homemade gravy gravy like i've gotten to the point where i don't think people even know what the words homemade gravy means because i would talk to people and they'd be like i i make my own gravy what i do is i open the can or the <laughs> jar of the stuff and then i add things to it like that's not that's not the that's same not homemade that no. you don't even understand so you used to be able to take the pan drippings and then make it into gravy okay so this was yeah. just i talked to so many people. There's going to be listeners right now who are, you know, grew up in Mankato and they're 80 and they think that we're just explaining like, and then if you breathe in, you get oxygen and then you can just breathe out again right. and then just keep doing that your whole life. Right. And it's just like, you, like, how did we not know about this? But this hot beef sandwich was just our, like, as, you know, pimento cheese was to the South, right. hot beef was to the North. And then... It started to kind of disappear in the 60s. That's when gravy packets came in. I did so much research. I learned that powdered gravy was invented for World War II for our troops. (laughs) God love them. They needed gravy over there, girl. (laughs) They did. Uh, And it helped, obviously. It was a a winning strategy. But then... They, the war ended, and then all of a sudden the gravy powder people were like, oh, no, we have all this gravy powder. How can we get it into <laughs> Can we move this stuff? <laughs> and so they started telling people. There's, like, advertising campaigns in the 60s, like, why are you wasting your life making gravy? Just open this packet. You're, you know, better served. Go play bridge. Yeah. Um, and then uh, so we kind of lost. Minnesota lost our iconic food, and it survived. It survived in pockets. I would say Mankato is about the epicenter of, of of hot beef love today, and they call it the commercial. Right, so get so to that- this point. Yeah, because people may have seen things or heard, like, you know, specific food. People talk about the commercial sandwich, but, like, what is that all about? Okay, so the commercial sandwich is just this exact same thing. It's hot beef. It's It's a piece of bread, like ideally homemade bread. Then it's mashed potatoes and... 
Now, this is gets complicated. Then it's beef, and it, I think it's supposed to be a pot roasty thing. Yeah, like it could be an old, like in the olden days, you had a you know a round of beef and you roast the whole thing. So maybe like a prime ribish thing we would think of today. And then sometime in the '60s, '70s, '80s, people started using another thing that we call roast beef, which is just the deli slices. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> it's very different, and I don't think that's how it was supposed to be. Anyway, and so this legend sprang up. People will all tell you it's called a commercial because traveling salesmen would eat it, and these were commercial travelers, and that's how it was. But I looked, I did a lot of research, and I don't think that's true at all. So strap in, kids, because there's some food history coming at you. <laughs> Our current uh, food grades, you know how we have, like, prime, you know, it's yep. prime food, meat, and it's really great. It's choice. It's really great. You know things like prime rib? Well, this was all put in, t- in you know, place in 1962. Before 1962, we had a whole other beef grading system, and commercial at that point was, like, B. It was, like, not oh. A, but it was really good. Oh. It was, like, the thing you could afford that was second best. Okay. And so, Beef commercial, I think, in the 1940s was roughly the same thing as saying prime rib. Prime rib. It's like, it's a good quality of beef. You know, strap in, you're going to have the good stuff, but you can afford it. And that's what beef commercial, I'm pretty sure, because I found hundreds of ads in the 1910s, 1920s, 1930s that would just be like, beef commercial is on sale. Beef commercial. beef, And they didn't mean the sandwich. They meant that grade of beef. And so yeah. this is the stuff that just gets lost in time. And so if everyone, if you've heard this traveling salesman story, I, everybody, that's what everybody thinks. Yeah, that's, I literally was just, I pulled up a blog and they completely said that nobody knows, but everybody believes that it's about the, you know, it's basically like Romy and Michelle when they walk in and they say, I'd like the businesswoman's lunch, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it was kind of like, that was what everyone thought it was. So, and so this sandwich actually existed basically in the north like you can find a running line so i talked to marilyn haggerty american hero yes you know, she's i think 93 and she's been writing about food at grand forks for you know decades and decades and she remembers it as just standard this is what she you know had in her diners where she worked when she was 12 years old um and then you can find it all the way through indiana indianapolis you never believe what they call it there what do they call it the Manhattan. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's fancy. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so I think what it was, and everyone I talked to who is, you know, legit old school food cred in the North would just talk about how you would be hauling pulpwood to cloquet and you're so hungry because yeah. imagine, you know, how hard that must have been. Yeah. And that is kind of the most filling most deluxe thing at the lunch counter in town. Oh. Like, you know, you're way more hungry than a sandwich. You're getting the hot beef, the beef commercial. And here's my thing. I you know, wrote about it for Minneapolis St. Paul magazine. I've been wanting to do this for so long. People don't understand what an icon this is in our northern heritage. Yeah. And I want everyone who's like crazy about Juicy Lucy's, crazy about life in the north here, to get a beef commercial. There are places in town. Do tell. Tell us where we can go get one. All right. So Keys. I've been to Keys a dozen times, 20 times. I never had the hot beef plate. Yeah. So good. Make their own gravy. You keep you full for a day. It's like a Thanksgiving dinner. It is. But beef 
on a plate. And there, you could also do that. There was a roast beef commercial, and there used to be a roast pork commercial. Oh. Like, this was such a big part of life that you would go into a, a little restaurant, and they would have made separate gravy from the pork drippings. Oh. I mean, can you imagine that like, would how be, good a life that was? That was like, amazing. Three different kinds of gravy. All right. And there's a there's another place that does the like the on the mountain best in the world because it has to have real mashed potatoes. If you're making it with potato buds or whatever, yeah. you've already lost the war. <laughs> you've already lost the war. What are you doing? You have to make it with the real mashed potatoes and real gravy. And there's a place in Glencoe, Minnesota, which is kind of just past Minnetonka. It's not too far. It's not too and far. And it's called Bumps. And it they make of they make the most legit like you, you're on a magic carpet ride to the glory days of 1930. Also, they have amazing pies, and so I think this is a road trip. And everybody in the north, like we need to, re- we need to re- rediscover, invest, like have our fanaticism to all the stuff we do for Juicy Lucy's. We need to do this about the hot beef. Or we're going to lose it for real. We're going to lose it for real. All right, girl. I love it. Well, if you guys want to read more about the story and really kind of dig into a lot of this great history, you can find the article. It's on newsstands now at Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine. Um, it won't go online for a while, so go buy an actual paper print issue. That's a great deal. All right, Dara, thanks for calling in, lady. So good. Thank you. Thanks, Dara. So that's, I mean, like literally, you guys, it is a good thing to go and take a little piece of the past and put it on a plate. At Bumps in Glencoe. Bumps in Glencoe, which is not too far from me. All right, we're going to take a little quick break and we'll be right back. This is the Weekly Dish on My Talk 1071. Welcome back to Weekly Dish. It was so fun hearing about the hot beef commercial. Yes. Um, Really fun week of just food things. So Mm -hmm. I just want to tell you guys a little bit about them. Because we met some very cool people. Right. Um, the Women's Chef Conference was in town last weekend, and Steph and I had the opportunity to launch the Women's Chef Conference podcast. We did our Weekly Dish Second Helpings podcast was the official launch of the Women's Chef Conference podcast. And we talked to Lori Wooliver, who is the writer, editor, and uh, assistant of the late Anthony Bourdain, which was fascinating. Um, she really had an opportunity to share with us how she met Anthony, what it was like to travel with him, what it was like to work with him. And if you want to listen to that podcast, you can find it uh, where you find any of your podcasts, just Weekly Dish. Um, she also does a podcast called Carb Face for Radio, which I listen to, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. And then another person we talked to that was cool was this woman um, who her name is Kay Kiefer. And she's on this thing that I want people to know about called the Heritage Radio Mm -hmm, Network. mm -hmm. It's heritageradio.org. And what they do is there's 37 different radio shows about food. Um, It's a nonprofit and it's food, drinks, agriculture. They have over a million monthly listeners. And of course, right away, she sits down and I'm like, so we should really have a show about the heartland that Stephanie and I should host on your radio network. (laughs) (laughs) Never, you know, just working the angles. Just, you know, so I am going to follow up on that. But if you like uh, hearing about food radio, they have Inside Julia's Kitchen. They have a show with Dana Cowan, who was the former editor of um, Bon Appetit magazine, speaking broadly Mm -hmm. with Dana Cowan. They have Cherry Bomb, which you may have heard about, which is a radio show on that network. So I just want people to know if you love getting your food radio on, that's a good place to check out. It's a good place to go. HeritageRadio.org. Then just got a chance to talk to some fun people. Um, There's a woman who I really enjoyed talking with named L. Simone Scott, who's the first black 
um, chef on America's Test Kitchen uh, in front facing in Mm -hmm. front of this screen. Mm -hmm. It was really interesting to talk to her about her community of um, she's got a thing called She Chef, which is empowering uh, people of color. And it's just it was really interesting to talk with her about what it's like to be on America's Test Kitchen. Yeah. Um, they are filming out of Boston and I'm going there after Labor Day and I think I'm going to go and take a tour of the kitchen, which will be fun. Um, also just talking to, I think one of my favorite interviews was with a woman named Tiffany Faison, who was yeah. on uh, Top Chef season one and then again on season eight. Yeah. She is really a gregarious, interesting person. Um, she talked a lot about what it's like to be in the restaurant business with her wife. Yep. She talked about being on Top Chef season one and just how different it is from the Top Chef we know now and how they really had to work her to get her to go on Top Chef because she was like, think about it. If I was a loser and a failure, then and I go on to want to open a restaurant. She's like, you're always going to be the person who lost on Top Chef. Right. Yeah. Um, So she said, if it wasn't executed well, you were just kind of the loser. So it took him a long time to talk her into doing it. She was talking about how much it's changed her life. Do you know that I met her before she was on Top Chef? No. If you if you look for a blog on MSP Mag, I don't know. It was that long ago. I mean, like think about we're on this. We were on just on the sixteenth season of Top Chef. I uh, or maybe it wasn't MSP Mag. Maybe it was the Rake. Anyway, I <clears> met her. I was in uh, Las Vegas with a bunch of friends, and we were at a, a restaurant. I might have been Dow. It might have been somewhere else. And she worked at Dow in the Venetian. So yeah. we were there, and we were um, at. We were having lunch and it was actually, she was our server and we all were drinking and obviously and having a good time and we got to know her and we, she kind of realized that we were food people and she goes, I have something to tell you. She's like, I have a super big secret. She's like, you can't tell anybody. She's like, but I am about to be on a, she's like, I just got done filming a big, you know, network TV cooking thing. And we're all like, that was before there was Top Chef, you guys. There was no, what a nothing weird coincidence. Like and we were all like, oh, that sounds, she's like, yeah. And she told us all about it. And she was like, but I can't tell you if I want or not. And we're like, oh my God, okay, well, good luck. We'll watch for you. And she's like, it won't be out for another four months. And so I'm just serving here and trying to cook, you know, like earn money before it. Cause she like, did start in the front of the house yeah. before she went to And she was like, school. I have no idea if it's going to be a big thing or if it could be a flop. She's like, it could just be one of those things that gets canceled after even two episodes air. She's like, I have no idea. It was like the first thing and we were like, oh my God, good luck. And so then all of a sudden, and I kind of forgot about it. And then it starts and I'm like, oh my God, that was our server. And then I actually called her and I talked to her about it afterwards. That was awesome. just crazy, right? Really she remembered awesome. our table. Yeah. Um, so it was just, it was a really just great weekend of yeah. talking to really accomplished people. Um, another interview that I just really appreciated was talking with uh, Marco Zappia from um Colita and Martina and just talking to him about his background and the just mad scientist brilliant way that he has of crafting these cocktails and how he's trying to lift up the people that work for him and also the industry to have different expectations about yeah. what craft cocktail cookery looks like and what a healthy work environment looks like for people. He's absolutely changing. He's absolutely disrupting all things in the bar scenes and making them Smarter and more intuitive and easier. I was at Kalita last night, so I saw him. And he, of course, is like he's running the whole room as well as the bar. And the bartenders are doing their thing. But I, I mean, we, I mean, I must have had like three or four different drinks and some wine. But because the ferments are kind of a low alcohol thing, too. Uh-huh. That is my favorite way to do this. I mean, honestly, 
like you get a cocktail and you're still having that social moment and you kind of get a nice lift from it. But you're I mean, I was not drunk by any means, shape or form. And part of the cocktail culture for me, I love to sit at a bar and talk with my friends and be in the scene and eat little bits and bites. And I I'm not there to get drunk. But if you have two of someone's cocktails sometimes and they're super high proof, like you have to be really careful. Yeah. I love the idea that I could spend an evening, a two hour evening and maybe have three of these low proof cocktails. And yeah, it'd be great. It's good. Um, all right. So that was just a really awesome, excellent experience. Uh, I also just want to recognize St. Paul College. They do such a good job. They're like one of the last culinary schools in town mm-hmm. where people are actually getting trained in hospitality. True. And I loved being there. Um, another thing that I did that I did on Thursday was I uh, helped MC the fifth annual Junior Iron Chef competition yeah. for Minneapolis Public Schools. Okay, I need to have this guy on. His name's Bertram. Yeah, we we talked. Ber- we've had Bertram on. Okay, oh, maybe we haven't had him on when you were here. And five years ago, we were talking about like how there were no kitchens in Minneapolis public schools. Yeah, they are really outfitting and going back to putting kitchens in schools. Yeah, so that was fun to see. the The way this worked is it was like Top Chef style competition. Uh, Lynn Rosetto Casper emceed with me, and I just have to say, when she started talking about the food, I like. I I almost started like crying. Yeah. Like I got teared up. I have missed her. Like she's such a brilliant broadcaster and the way that she talks about food is just a delight. And she I was really honored to co-host with her. I'm like just a big fan. Yeah. And she listens to the show stuff. Yeah, I know. It cracks me up. I was I like, you do? It's just she's it was fun. a part she's just a human in our world. I know. Like, I mean, she's done obviously spectacular things, but to remember also the side of her that she's just a She's an eater in Minneapolis. And so good. And I love that. Um, All right. So there were five teams and uh, Chef Andrew Vong from Fig and Farrow, Justin Sutherland from Hanson Hog, Tammy Hogg from Rainbow Chinese, Jared Brewington from Funky Grits, Chef Jack Cable from Trio, and Chef Kerry McCabe Johnson from Nightingale. All had teams of uh, people from these schools, two kids in each of the teams. That they went and met with them and planned their dish, and they had to use an alternative protein was the theme. Okay. So I had something that I've never had before that I want you guys to look out for called pulled oats. It was crazy. It's like oats, but it kind of tasted like or had the texture of pork. Oh. So like sausage or pulled pork. Pulled pork? Yeah. It's different from sausage, though. I mean, like when you're thinking about that. It comes in different Okay, so you're saying Okay, both. Okay. And it was really interesting. Kind of a neutral flavor, but good tasting and like took on the flavor of these sauces that they were making. Yep. So that was really interesting ingredient that it's big in Europe, but it's just starting to come into the United States. The uh, one of the teams, uh, Team Anderson with Chef Andrew Vong, they made um, a uh, they made a um, crouton out of tofu okay so really just fried it Mm -hmm. and that was i thought kind of an interesting way to get texture into their dish justin sutherland's team ended up winning it was aisha gruffender and dora perez rios and they made a tostada but they used jackfruit oh and they flavored the jackfruit with um a roast salsa and they made beans and just like it was so cool to watch these chefs with these kids. Yeah. Teaching them the chef techniques. Yeah. Tammy's team, they made a fried uh, tofu. So she's teaching the kids about that. 
one of the teams, like, honestly, they took like seven minutes to plate their dish because they were just doing layer upon layer of flavor. Yeah. It was so fun to watch these kids and their families teaching them how to chiffonade basil. You know, there were nice skills that uh, one of the gals, she was just a nervous wreck. And she kept saying, like, I'm afraid I'm going to cut myself. And I watched a chef like, here, here's how you cut the radish. Um, the team that ended up winning was Justin Sutherland's team, Team Ann Watton. From, yeah. But it was really a great competition and so fun. And I just love what they're doing in the Minneapolis Public Schools to bring, like, real food back into the kitchen. Totally. It's a so great fun. thing. So good. Yeah. I love Congratulations. it. Congratulations. Congratulations. Chefs all across the Twin Cities that have donated their time. Yeah. I can't believe how much time these chefs donate. I know. It's crazy. Again, and this is the thing that... it. It makes me worried that it's going to like get squeezed because they won't be able to take the time off. So I'm yeah. a little worried about it. But Just that they were spending time with these kids. So thank you, chefs. Yes. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Week Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. It's been a fun day. We've had a lot of good things to talk about and good people to talk with. Um, if you missed any of our discussions, of course, you know, you can always dial it up on demand on the website or on, as a podcast, which where we put extra content like we talked about uh, with our second helpings at WCR. And that's just wherever you find an ice cream. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we did. We did hang out at the uh, Minnesota, Minnesota ice, cream. ice cream and talked about uh Small businesses and all they have to go through and everything like that. And so. that affogato that we had there, Oof. I still keep thinking about it. It was delicious. Yeah, that was delicious. I I am officially, I had my ice cream jag. I have one more spot to get to and then I can like be get back and be normal because I've been eating ice cream every day. Have you? Yeah, I don't even know why. I've just craved it. Huh. I have to go to Sweet Science in Keg and Case and visit Ashley Olds. Yeah. And we just then, got married. Congratulations, Ash. She did. Yep, they finally got married. Oh, cute. Yay. I did not know that. Congratulations. Yep. That's so exciting. You know who else is congratulations? Let's give a shout out to our boy, Tony Zaccardi, our friend. <gasps> yes. Because he is uh, on Tuesday celebrating one year of owning Palmer's. And I thought, you know, for all the people who go, oh, my God, we lost Lee's liquor and oh, we're the losing Kelly's bars. Depot and all your dive bar whining. Why don't you get over to Palmer's on Tuesday and put some money where your mouth is and support a guy who saved one of our best dive bars. And he is just a really nice guy. And a really nice guy. Yeah. And it's a really cool place. Uh, Lisa and Keith, are my friend Lisa Timmick's friends, owned Palmer's before right. they sold it to Tony, before Keith died, sort of in, unfortunately died. Um, that bar has been kicking it for a long time in the West Bank neighborhood. It's a great dive bar. It's fun people that go in there. It's interesting people. Yeah. The music is cool. It's cool. And they've got a nice little patio back. Yes. I think he's going to be doing some music this summer and just fun stuff. So go visit Palmer's Bar. Uh, I wanted to mention also that, you know, we were talking about alternative proteins and you talked about that pulled oats thing. Um, and I just wanted to say that, you know, when we talk about these, you know, vegan foods and everything, you know, as the trends, as we've sort of kind of been riding this this wave, uh, did you know that Beyond Meat, which is kind of like the Impossible Burger, Beyond Meat uh, debuted their IPO this weekend and or this it week? went crazy. 163% it, above what, I mean, they are, they are the best IPO so far in 2019. Like yeah. they are, they blew everything out of the water. Fake meat. And think about that. Someone that I was listening to recently was talking about eating that impossible burger and just could not believe it wasn't meat. Yeah. And I didn't have that same experience, but it was good. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's all it's all going to 
I mean, like it's all in process because so impossible, the impossible burger, uh, Burger King announced that they were going to carry it. Right. That sent that craziness through the roof. And all of a sudden, all the supply of impossible burger stick, they're trying to keep up. There were places in New York that were like, there's only two cases of this, this burger in this in the entire state at this point. And so it became kind of a like, oh, my God, we can't get it. So some of the people were saying, well, we'll just do the Beyond Meat patties and people were not having it they were like no i want my impossible burger burger yeah it's become ubiquitous the name brand but it's but it's but it's like it's specifically like the people who know it know the difference between the beyond meat and the impossible burger and that to me is like a difference of that is people who really do care about the flavor and the taste to a point where a lot of people who are buying burgers just shove them in their face and move on you know so I don't know. It's very interesting. I'm really interested to watch how this all flows in the market space. When we were at the chef competition, besides the pulled oats, there was um, chickpea, lentil, and some other kind of pastas. Yeah. Um, one of the tricks that someone did with the uh, chickpea pasta was they tossed it in olive oil and salt and then roasted it hmm. and then cooked it. Oh, wait. So you're saying it's dried? Yes. So it was dried and then it was tossed in olive oil and salt and yep, roasted. The guy and from Fig and Pharaoh. And he said that that's an old, he said it's actually a Mexican technique and that it really flavors the pasta before you cook it in the water. Huh. Yeah. So kind of interesting. Okay. I've never seen that before. I like that idea. Um, there's a, obviously we've talked about it. There's a lot of stuff going on. A couple openings that you should know about. Don Raul is a new restaurant by I'm Hector I'm interested Ruiz. in this. Yeah, it's really cute. And I mean, I just drove by it the other day heading towards Kalita, but it's off of uh, 50th and Xerxes. And it's right across from Hunt and Gather kind of thing. Cute little building and cute space. And Hector Ruiz is, you know, he's got a Cafe Enya. He's got La Cosa. Uh, Costa Blanca. Costa Blanca. I was going to say La Cosa Nostra. That's not it. Um, you know, he was, he's, he's just a La Fresca, Rincon 38. He's got a lot of great restaurants in town that are all sort of got a Mexican flavor to them. And this one, he's trying to go a little bit more into that global sense, doing a little bit of Moroccan flavors here and there. Some other kind of things, and it's honoring his grandfather. Don you know, Raul. not to keep bringing up this whole thing that I did with the kids, but what was also fascinating about it was they came up with the recipes with no coaching, right? Yeah, they were all world recipes. Well, yeah, like none of them were doing like any sort of, I guess, Americanized concepts. Like they were all dealing with very world flavors, and um, that was really interesting to me too. That just the way that they wanted to eat. Well, and I think a lot of those kids come from their heritage is not, you know, sort of like white bread, Minnesota, yeah. like rural thing. Those are kids who are, like you said, the Somali kids are bringing their families yep. cooking into it. And so I think that's awesome. Yep. Mexican, Somali. I'm just trying to think there was some Asian kids, some yeah. white kids. It was pretty much a mix. But yeah. That's awesome. Thinking about how they're going to eat in the next 20 years. Yeah. Oh, I mean, if you consider the fact they talk about the Gen Z and they, you know, they call them the quinoa generation because they not only do they know how to spell it, say it and cook it. And that's a first for, you know, base for like kind of American kids. Yeah. And And feral was another ingredient that was on the recipe that I mean, if they're coming up with that because they were coming up with these recipes, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Definitely. Um, Minnesota Barbecue Company is open finally. Yeah. That's Kale Tome and the Travail Boys have finally launched their barbecue shop in Northeast. Um, they're going to be open Wednesday through Sunday and they start at 5 p.m. And it's just like until the barbecue sells out. It so. looks good. I know. It looks really good. And I'm, the, the space looks cute. Feels like it's a, it's a takeout spot only. You're not going to sit down there just to be clear. So it's a little shack. 
And but it's a very cool looking shack. By the was way. it originally supposed to be up near Travail, and then did they move it? Or no, it's... they'd always had their sights set on okay. that building. Actually, and what took them so long was fitting that building for a food space because it was not a food building okay. before, and they had some permitting issues with that. Uh, there's a new place in um, North Loop called Cobble Social House, which is a cute little bar. And here's what it is: it's a cocktail bar, kind of wine bar uh, with light snacks. And it's 39 seats, very small. It's next to Danilo and, and Monte Carlo. And here's the deal. It's, 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 Where? Also, it's, it's in the is Danilo in building. You see like the an little eye. strip with by got, Russell and Hazel and. Oh yeah, I think they're gone, but it's like the black painting that says Danilo. And then there's a gold eye got and it. then it's the door right there in okay. the parking lot. Yep. And, uh, they are, it's run by Joe Clark and Veronica Clark who owned Danilo. And it is, uh, it's a gallery. It's a bar that's also a gallery. Cool. So that you can buy the paintings, you can buy the furniture, you could buy the glassware if you that's so happen. That's deadly for me. I know. Well, I'm I mean, you wouldn't shopper. buy it right there, but you would, you'd put your, I, I know. I don't know. You I know. know. I would I know. go there, I'd have two drinks, and I'd be walking out with three paintings. The last thing I'm going to say is Mill City Farmer's Market open today. Woo-hoo. And for me, the Peppermint Twist is finally open out in Delano. So I'm going to go get a raspberry shake and a burger. That's Have a great day. All right. Ciao, ciao.